I have come to the place where I need my glasses to read, and uh, then I forgot them at home. And so I'm using one of our uh, large print Bibles tonight to uh, take advantage. Uh, not that I can't read this one, it's just, I don't, if I was only reading a couple verses, I'd probably just slog through it, but I don't, two chapters, I don't have these two chapters memorized yet. So, all right, let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and then uh, our group will multiply, as they tend to do, and then we'll uh, look at this exciting section of Luke, uh, Luke chapter, chapters 5 and 6, as we have them in our Bibles. So, uh, Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, and uh, we thank you for this time that we get to carve out of our lives to gather in this group and in this uh, space to to hear your word, to open your word, to read it, and to seek to ingest it uh, as a way of us understanding you and growing in our relationship with you and with each other, acknowledging the importance of this time that we spend together. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enlighten our minds, that you would enliven our hearts, and that you would be with us as we engage with this text. And with each other, Lord, I pray that we'd be gracious to each other and open to you and to what you desire to communicate to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week we left off with Jesus preaching in the synagogues of uh, Judea, and we have, uh, you know, we have some interesting remarks tonight, uh, as you'll notice with Luke, he, he gives us some interesting markers as he moves us through the story of Jesus, um, one of them being this uh, general reference on one occasion. Um, and, and notice as we transition from kind of scene to scene, it's interesting how he chooses to uh, make that transition. So on one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, 
And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man, with a withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he all he said to, the, to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust 
with one another what they might do to Jesus. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their prophet, their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above their teacher, but everyone, when they are fully trained, will be like the teacher." Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, brother or sister, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother or sister's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of their evil treasure 
uh, and the evil person out of their evil treasure produces evil. And out of the abundance of the heart, his or her mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man or woman who is building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been built well. It had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a person who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Thanks be to God for large print Bibles. So here we go. We have this interesting uh, series of events as Luke continues to move us through his gospel. And he starts out by telling us that uh, he has this occasion and Jesus is out teaching and he's teaching by the lake. And right away we get this interesting phrase that he is uh, bringing forth the word of God. So he says that they are there to hear the word of God. And so Gennesaret is the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. It's this fertile area. And so Luke gives us a very specific location of where this is taking place. Again, we get these general references to where things are taking place, and then we get some very specific uh, examples of what is taking place and where it happens to be taking place. So he gets in the boat because the crowd, I mean, we see this overwhelming crowd that is pushing in on him, and so the only escape is to get on this boat. So he gets on this boat, and he's teaching, and he tells uh, Peter that they should go out a little further so that they can go fishing. Now, uh, as this story can be very familiar to many of us, They've been fishing all night. These are professional fishermen. This is how they make their living. They know how to fish, and they know how to catch fish. You don't go out at this time of day with these type of nets. These types of nets were not the nets that we think of. They were more of a cloth, linen-type net. And so when the sun is out, it's very visible in the water, and so the fish would have a harder time or would have an easier time avoiding said net. Peter does not believe that they are going to have success. And we have this very first exchange between Peter and Jesus that Luke tells us where we see Peter as this person who is unsure of what advice Jesus is giving him. He says, who, he refers to him, first of all, as master, which is a very interesting reference to him. He says, master, what, what are you thinking? As if we don't know what we're doing, who do you think you are that we should go out and we should actually have success. But what does he do? He is questioning yet obedient because he says, yes, I don't believe that this is going to be a good idea, but I will do it anyways. And what happens? They receive this huge amount of fish and Peter sees Jesus clearly and has this revelation and falls down on his feet and he says, I am not worthy to be around you because I am a sinner. Which, as we're going to see throughout Luke's gospel, sinner is a category of individual who Jesus has come to be with. So we often see sinners and tax collectors put together. Well, if we look at the two calls that we see here uh, of disciples, they 
don't happen right next to each other. They are kind of sandwiched together. We see Peter being, in this instance, referring to himself as a sinner. And then a little while later, after the two uh, miracles of healing, he calls Levi, who is a tax collector. So sinners, tax collectors, together within Luke's narrative and how they are functioning. He says, I, I shouldn't be here because I am a sinner. And what is Jesus' response? Jesus says, do not be afraid. Have we heard this before? Where have we heard this before? The angels, yes. So right away in Zechariah has this encounter with the angel. And what is the angel bringing to Zechariah? Yes, who is he speaking on behalf of? God, yes, thank you. So Zechariah is bringing forth the word of God, and the word of God starts with, do not be afraid. So here we have Jesus. He is teaching the word of God, and now the word of God echoes in Jesus' mouth to Peter to do not be afraid. Now, because we've chopped this up, because no one wants to spend, you know, eight hours here, ever, <laughs> Like, unless you work here, I guess. Uh, sitting here for eight hours, going through the first six chapters of Luke, sometimes we have a hard time. But if we were following this together, we would have heard Zechariah say, you know, hear these words, do not be afraid. We would have heard the angels say, do not be afraid. And then we would hear Jesus say, do not be afraid. And so there's this ongoing theme of when someone is in the presence of God, it is not a fearful thing, but it is a peaceful thing. And so... Jesus is telling Peter, don't be afraid. In essence, I am here with you. And then he gives this classic phrase, now you will be catching men. Except we know, when does this catching of men really start for Peter? In Acts. And so we have this prophetic utterance of Jesus at the beginning of Luke's gospel, and it doesn't actually come to fruition until Acts. And so if we were listening to Luke at the beginning, we would say, okay, when's he going to start catching some people? This is an interesting phrase, and I'm excited about this. And we would wait and wait and wait and wait, and then boom, here it comes, fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that what uh, Peter is going to be doing is coming to fruition. And what happens? They leave everything and follow him. So just imagine this. This is their whole lives, the the, the Life of a fisherman is all there, their boats, their nets, everything, their families there. They have just caught this immense amount of fish, and what do they do? They turn and they walk away. They literally walk away from everything. And, and that is going to be this very important theme. Because to follow Jesus is to turn and to walk away from all of the old ways of living and to live in the newness of the call of Jesus on our lives. And we're going to see that throughout this section of walking away. Remember when John taught, what, is, what does John say? He's preaching a baptism of repentance, right? A, a baptism of turning from the old and turning to the new. And here, Peter and his friends leave the old, their way of fishing, and they turn to the new which is Jesus Christ. And then they kind of disappear because Luke gives us these two amazing examples of healing. 
first the healing of the leper and then the healing of the paralytic. So Jesus is, is surrounded by these people. He goes into the city and, and he encounters this man and this man is begging from him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And notice what his request of Jesus is. Or let me rephrase that. How his request is formed. His request is formed much like when we talk about uh, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, I believe that you have the power to heal me if you so desire. And so he has this posture of humility and also acknowledging, Jesus, you have the ability. And my prayer is that you would use that ability to heal me. And Jesus' response, of course, is in this instance, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy leaves him. And notice how many times Luke uses this word immediately. Now imagine, again, this idea of somebody who has leprosy. They are not even supposed to be in the city. And we talked about this when the the leper is healed in Matthew. They are not supposed to be in the city. They are not supposed to be around people. And the absolute last thing that Jesus is supposed to do is touch the guy. But Jesus constantly uses the power of physical touch to bring about change and restoration into the physical lives of individuals. And so Jesus touches this person, this man who has this leprosy, And can you imagine what that would have felt like? He has been living with leprosy. He is touched by Jesus. He is immediately made clean. And you want to go tell some people, right? And what does Jesus say? We talked about this last week. That At times it's like, shh, don't tell anyone. He says that to the demons, you know, like, be quiet. And at other times the people that should be telling things, they don't. And he says, Don't tell anybody, but go and make this offering to show what is happening. But even more people start to come forward. And even more people are starting to be healed of their infirmities. And what does Jesus do? He withdraws to a desolate place to pray. So we see these instances, right? Remember last week that he's trying to withdraw to this desolate place and the crowd follows him. The need for Jesus to go away into these desolate places to find refuge, to find solace, to commune with his father. And in this conversation, we see the humanity of Jesus being on full display and the dependence of Jesus on his relationship with his father. But for some reason, we make excuses for why that's not necessarily important for us. Well, I'm too busy. I got stuff going on. Where would I go? What would I do? All these things. And and it's like, why would I go away into a desolate place and pray? Like, I got other stuff to do. The answer is that's what Jesus did. (laughs) Because Jesus shows in the midst of the chaos of life, the desolate place is a place of healing and restoration and communing with God. And I know some of you don't even know it exists. We have one half a mile of prayer path over here and another half a mile of prayer path over there that is very desolate. 
And we have even places where you can sit and just be desolate, except for the occasional bear, bobcat, deer. I mean, for the most part, it's pretty desolate. Or the swans that, that, that swoop in, or the skunks, or the porcupines. There's no people. That's where Jesus goes because he knows of the importance of this. The importance of going away and recharging. And then we get this next reference to one of those days. So does this happen right after this? We don't know. The importance isn't when it's happening, it's what's happening. And notice again, remember last week we had this question about how does the Holy Spirit function within Jesus? Luke tells us, and the power of the Lord was with him, which is this nod to the Holy Spirit being with Jesus. And he's in this place, and he's teaching. And again, this is another one of those stories that we hear about all the time in Sunday school. And in this case, Jesus is teaching, and we have three individuals. Two of them are friends of this man who is paralyzed. And the question becomes, Jesus says, he saw their faith. So is the faith the two men that are carrying their friend there? Is it the paralyzed man and the two men? Certainly, it had to be more than one person because there is a plural reference. So uh, these people have such faith. They go, they find this house, and what do they do? Oh, sorry, it's packed. Can't go in. No, they go up on the roof. They remove the roof. They open up the roof because they believe that what Jesus has for them is going to restore their friend's life. Do we have that same belief? Better yet, do we have friends who have that same belief? Do we have friends that would carry us to Jesus, crawl up on somebody's roof, break through their house, so that you or I could be healed? Because Jesus says their faith, it is a collection of individuals' faith that is producing Jesus calling them out and healing this man and forgiving him of his sins. And again, I, at times it becomes nauseating, I think, this idea that all you ever bring up is that faith is not individualistic and how we live in an individualistic culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's true. So often we think that our faith is me and God in this vertical relationship. And so I sit down and I read my Bible, and it's just me, and it's all about me and God and me and God and me and God, and whatever everyone else does doesn't really matter, except that is not a biblical concept at all. It's about us and God and us and God and us and us. Because there are times in our lives when we are so paralyzed by the existence of things in our lives where we need friends who have faith, who say, I don't care what you say, I'm carrying you to the cross of Jesus Christ so that you can experience the power of God that comes through Jesus Christ. Exactly. We got some new people here tonight who are filled by the Spirit and oh, this is gonna change. We've reached October Humidity's gone, temperature's dropping, the Holy Spirit is moving. Woo! Or is it the case that we are in a place 
where we find ourselves paralyzed and isolated and we're like, I can't even move one step closer to God. What am I going to do? And that's part of why we have these discussion groups. Because these discussion groups are designed for us to be in communal engagement around the text, looking at and asking ourselves, how do we together move closer to God? And when I fall down and I'm paralyzed in my faith, whether it's life circumstances, things I've done, stupid decisions I've made, where I'm at, any of the things, things that have happened to me, and I'm like, I don't know if I can keep moving forward. I don't even know if faith is it for me anymore. My friends say, I don't care what you believe. I'm taking you to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He sees their faith. And what does he do? Imagine this. The place is packed. It's like raging. Rage your party in this house. Man comes down from the ceiling. Everyone's like, what's happening? And what does Jesus do? The most unexpected thing imaginable. Your sins are forgiven. I mean, talk about, like, what a thing for him to do. Yeah, yeah, we've, we're expecting the healing. We're expecting the casting out of demons. We're expecting all these things. And he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. And it's just like, what just happened? Because Jesus is acknowledging that he and God are one, and he has the ability and the authority to forgive sins. And certainly, there is this cultural idea that the infirmities that you have are the result of the sins that exist in your lives or in your life. You know, you're paralyzed because you've done something wrong and God is smiting you. And so you need your sins to be forgiven in order for you to be experienced restoration. Which is a whole long conversation, which we do not have time to get into about how that all works. Jesus squashes it and he says, I can forgive your sins and I can heal you. He says, what is it easier for me to do? To forgive his sins? Literally, your sins are forgiven. How does anyone know? We don't. And he says, watch this. Get up and walk. I can do both. And again, part of it is this picture. When we think about Jesus and we think about these instances of healing, Jesus cares about the total person. Jesus sees a man who needs his sins to be forgiven so that he can be in right relationship with God. And he sees a man who needs to walk because his life needs to be restored to full health. And he says, I will do both. And people are just blown away. The, the curious thing, though, is... He tells him, get up and walk, and the dude doesn't even hang out. It's like, we don't have space for you, right? Luke's like, and so he did. He took off. Like, wouldn't you have stuck around to see what else was going to happen? And the crowd is amazed, and they glorify God. And then after this, which is this reference to seemingly, this happens right after what we just had happen, Jesus calls Levi, who is a tax collector. Again, you know, sinners and tax collectors, the calling of both of them. Jesus is setting up a band of individuals that no one would expect. And what does Levi do? 
Jesus says, follow me. And what does he do? He leaves everything. Again, this is somebody who would have had wealth, who would have power. Yes, the Jews would have not liked him. But we know that he has wealth and power because he immediately leaves all his booth and all these things, and they go back and they throw a party at his house. And who's at the party? A bunch of other tax collectors. You're like, what is happening right now? I think I've referenced this before. It's like when, when I was growing up, my mom would be like, I don't want you hanging out with those kids. They're bad news. That's the tax collectors. Like Jesus hanging out with people. He sh- Mary would be very displeased with who he's spending his time with. And notice the Pharisees and the scribes, Luke, and it's translated in the English into this word, grumbled. Now, for $1,000, what does grumbling, what does that mean to you from the Old Testament? Yes! My mom, she, she doesn't count. It's like when you call into the radio station that your dad manages, you don't count, so you make up a name and you lie so that your friend can win tickets to the movie. That happened a lot. What happens? They're in the wilderness, for, and they look, and what are they doing? Because they're being punished. What do they do? They grumble. So check this out. They're in the wilderness. The Jews are grumbling. Fast forward. Messiah comes, and what do they do? They grumble. They're upset. They're like, who is Jesus, and who is he hanging out with? This is not how it's supposed to be. And notice... At this party, they're at a feast, and they want to. They say, "Why aren't you fasting?" It's like, "Hello, we're at the buffet. No one goes on a diet at Pizza Ranch. You eat the cactus bread on your way out the door." And Jesus makes the reference that he is the bridegroom, and so something different is happening, and he gives them this parable. And he's saying, you can't put the new thing into the old thing because it doesn't work. So he's starting to lay out this idea of the newness, this new covenant that's coming about. And it's going to come about in a different way. And now notice this. One of the things is that right from here, okay, typically we stop here. We're like, oh, chapter 5, ding, done. That must be where Matthew or Luke wants us to stop. Wrong. He's talking about fasting. And the next reference is about the Sabbath and what are they doing on the Sabbath? They're walking through a grain field and they're eating things. Don't miss that. Talking about fasting, not eating, in a grain field, eating. And the Pharisees are like, this is unlawful. They shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus says, you don't get it. Things are changing And he says, the son of man, notice how many times we're going to get this reference to son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then Luke chooses to couple together another story about the Sabbath. He says, on another Sabbath, they're in the synagogue and he's teaching. And this man comes with this withered hand. And it's almost this idea that Jesus sees the scribes and the Pharisees watching him. And he's like, watch this. Hey, come here. Are you watching? Not that you're a Pharisee, Nate. That person. Are you, are you watching this? Stretch out your hand and be healed. He knows that it's not supposed to be that way. 
He knows that this is not the way it's supposed to be because there are things in the law. Where does the Sabbath keeping start in the Old Testament? Where do we get the declaration to keep the Sabbath holy? Excuse me? Yes, Ten Commandments. Thank you, Russ. 500 for you. Isn't it ironic that we get so amped up about certain of the Ten Commandments? And this is one we're like, is it really in the Ten Commandments? Because I got a lot of stuff I need to do on Sunday. Mow the yard, walk the dog, feed the cows, milk the goats, watch the football game. This, 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 this. But Sabbath keeping had become such a legalistic thing down to how far can you walk and what can you do and can you even pick and pluck grain and do all these things. And, and Jesus is, you know, can you heal on the Sabbath? Well, you can heal if it's an emergency. And Jesus takes all of these old concepts and he says, here's the deal. The Sabbath is not what you think it's for. And he heals this man. And how does it land? They are furious, literally, he says. And they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Hold on to that thought. Jesus is provoking the scribes and the Pharisees and saying, watch me. It's like the little kid who's like, don't touch that. And you're like, oh yeah, watch this. I'm God. And then we get this reference to, so the calling of the disciples, and then we get this uh, 12 apostle thing. And and as Janine pointed out when she was here on the first night, there's all these disciples. There's this huge group of disciples, right? All these disciples are following Jesus. And so when we think about the 12 apostles, it is a distinguishing group away from the larger group that is deemed as the disciples. And so he he selects these 12 uh, in particular people. Because certainly there would have been loads of other disciples, including women, that would have been a part of the group following him. And these are the 12 apostles that he selects. And, and then we get this general reference that, it, in, in essence, they choose the, he chooses the 12 apostles and they move down and he's teaching this great multitude of people in, in coming from all of these different places, Judea and Jerusalem. And what's happening there? He's healing all of their diseases, curing them of all of these unclean spirits. And all they sought to touch him. And then what does Jesus do? He sits down with his disciples. Now, we have to keep this in mind because he has just called this, these 12 out. And now he's, they're on the cusp of really launching into what he's going to be doing. And so before he does this, he sits down and he says, I've got some things that you wanna, might want to be aware of before you really join me on this journey. So often we, skip, we just skip over the black letters and go right to the red letters, but we must be aware of the black letters. The black letters are that Jesus is addressing his disciples. He's saying, as we go forth into this thing that is called the advancement of the kingdom of God, here's some things that you want to be aware of. And so he goes into talking about the Beatitudes and who is blessed. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep. This is not a case to say, 
you are somehow advantaged if you don't have money. This is a much larger picture of who are these people, and he is making the connection that within the woes and the Beatitudes, that when we are not desperate for God, we are in a compromised position. It's when we are desperate that we seek out the one who can provide. And the question becomes, are we desperate or are we content? You know, woe to those who are rich. Woe to those who are full. Woe to those who laugh now. Because he is making this correlation between where people's standing in life is. Because as we've seen, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they don't get it. Because in essence, they're set. They are the powerful ones in, in Jerusalem and in, in, in Judaism. They don't need Jesus because they have everything they need within the law. And so they don't get it. But who gets it? Those who don't have anything, those who are sick, those who are disenfranchised, the taxpayers and or the tax collectors and the sinners. And Jesus is, is making this clear distinction of what is happening. And the earthly measure of success is not the heavenly measure of success. And Jesus is putting forth warnings to say, don't get too comfortable where you're at because the comfort of this world will dampen and diminish your desire for me. Have you ever found yourself in a place where we're like, I'm pretty good. I'm just pretty good. And we hear the echoes of, woe to you who are full. Because the fullness of this world deadens our need that we have for a relationship with Jesus. As John's been talking about for the past few weeks. This need, this recognition and acknowledgement of a need for a Savior. But often it's the case, why would I, why would I get involved in the community of faith? Because I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And Jesus says, except you're not. And then he goes on with what Luke, we don't call it the Sermon on the Mountain Luke, even though that's what it is in Matthew. We see these phrases and this countercultural move of Jesus. And when we read these things, we often have the, the tendency to say, is that what he actually meant? I mean, come on. Like, Jesus, he didn't really mean that, did he? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Like, no, that's not really what that means, right? Like, that was, this is a clear example of, that was then, this is now, right? Give to everyone who begs from you. If somebody steals from you, something from you, give them more. Like, nah, 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 good. And it, it just draws us into the reality that the call of Jesus Christ on one of his disciples' lives 
is so counterintuitive and countercultural to what we bathe in on a daily basis. Because what we bathe in is the opposite of this. That, that was an amen. It was a silent amen. I think it was from the youth group. I heard it. I, did, anyone else, did anyone in the back hear that? If somebody wrongs us, we got to get them back. Somebody cuts us off in traffic, we got to speed ahead and cut them off just so we can let them know that what you did was wrong. Somebody does something to us, we got to get them back. Somebody says a bad word to us, what do we do? We got to get them back. And Jesus says to his disciples, if you're going to follow me, you're going to give all of that up. You're going to give up all of these things that the world has told you. Keep everything to yourself. If you lend money to someone, expect nothing in return. Are you kidding me? I'm just supposed to give my money away? No way! Not a chance! If I'm going to give somebody some money, there's going to be terms, and there's going to be a contract, and there's going to be lawyers involved, and there's going to be interest because that's my money. And Jesus says, no. No. Love your enemies and do good. And it's just like, no. Don't judge people? Are you kidding me? What? The challenge around this, though, is we can use this in very inappropriate ways. Because when we read this text, if we've ever found ourselves in an abusive relationship, we read this and we say, Jesus is calling me to be a doormat. But that's not what he's calling us to do. See, Jesus says that I just have to stay with my abuser and just allow myself to be punished and beaten and just pray for them and hope that that something's going to change. And that's not true. Jesus is not addressing what's happening in the home. He's not addressing a very specific example if, if, you are found, if you find yourself in an abusive relationship, the Bible is not condemning or condoning the abuse. And God wants you to be safe and healthy and whole, period, full stop. Jesus cares about our bodies. Thank you. So please, know that to be true. And do not let anyone else tell you anything different. Because we so easily allow ourselves to believe the lies that exist. Oh, it's my fault. I deserve it. I, 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 I. No, 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 no. Jesus is talking to his disciples about going out into the world and what it's going to look like as they move into the world and advance the kingdom of God. He's not talking about marital relationships in this instance or intimate relationships. He's talking about the world works one way and we are going to work a different way. And that's what we have to keep in mind. 
all the way down to this idea of not judging other people and calling out other people's issues. And he's talking about this parable. He says, he tells them this parable and this idea of the, the log in your eye and the speck in your brother or sister's eye. Because the world, all the world wants to do is tell us all of our faults while you know, ignoring anything that's going on in them. And Jesus is saying, we are going to do things differently. Because what's going to happen, okay, again, what's going to happen as we move into Acts? Because again, we see Luke and Acts as one together. What happens when they start the early church? They all agree on everything. They love each other. It's just Holy Spirit all over the place. No issues. People are like, we want to return to the early church. Like when they had issues and divisions and all those things. So just be curious if you know what that feels like. No, Jesus is setting up his disciples for what it's going to be like to advance the kingdom of God and say, when you look at your brother or sister, make sure you check yourself before you go and start calling out your brother or sister's sins. And then he gives another example, as if they haven't gotten it yet, about this idea we've already talked about, about producing fruit. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you produce a particular type of fruit. As he says, you know, big trees are not gathered from thorn bushes. And then he kind of ties it all together and says, this is what it's like to hear this and to believe it. Because so often is the case, it's so easy to say yes to Jesus and then be like, I'm set. Except Jesus says very clearly, everyone who comes to me, comes to Jesus, hears my words, and what? And does them. It's not that we gain our salvation through the things that we do. It's that we do the things that we do because we have gained a relationship with Jesus Christ and are experiencing the advancement of king, the kingdom of God in our lives that is salvation. Because the opposite is not a good, not a good situation. All right.